Welcome to the STLHighSchoolSports.com Friday Night Football Show. I'm your host, Dave Quedal. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. We got a great show lined up. First, we're going to talk with MICDS football coach Fred Bouchard, who's in his first season leading the Rams after a long and successful stint at Harrisonville and Staley out west near Kansas City. Paul Halfacre is going to drop by and give us his insights into the first two days of the three-day Missouri State cross-country meet. Joe Harris will take us inside the Show Me Center down in Cape Girardeau with news about the girls' state volleyball tournament. Paul Kropsky is going to run down the scores and highlight performances, and we'll also talk with Greg Upton, who was checking in on the Big DeSmet CBC game, and Ben Vessa, who was at Fox and St. Dominic down in Arnold. All that and more coming up right here on the STLHighSchoolSports.com Friday Night Football Show. But first, here's Fred Bouchard. I'm now joined by MICDS coach Fred Bouchard in his first season over at Country Day with the Rams. Coach, thanks so much for joining us here on the STLHighSchoolSports.com Friday Night Football Show. Hey, thanks for having me, Dave. Appreciate it. Happy to have you. Long history out in the Kansas City area, for those who don't know. You were at uh, Staley for a while in Harrisonville. Uh, multiple championships at Harrisonville where you got to know the MICDS team uh, pretty good. And uh, so what's it like being on this side of the state after being out west for a while? Oh, you know what? It's uh, it's good. You know what? Uh, we we probably don't have to travel as far as we did for some of our games in Harrisonville because <laughs> our conference was spread out a little bit more. But uh, um, you know what? It's, uh, of course, COVID is probably uh truncated a little bit of my introduction to the whole area but um I, i've really enjoyed working with the micds young people and then and, and meeting some of the coaches out and about that we've competed against and uh that that's been pretty cool and i'm curious as a first year coach with a program how have you adjusted to a life where covid is always hanging over you and affects a lot of what you like to do from the off season to here in St. Louis County, the first six, seven weeks of the regular season, what's it been like just living with it? You know what? I think part of it is uh, um, everybody's doing it. And you know how in, you know, football coaches always talk about, Hey, you, you better do your fundamentals well, and you, you better handle that part of it. Um, this is kind of one of those new fundamentals. Like you better be fundamentally sound and handling covid and when you're when your students leave you they have to they have to carry those fundamentals with them because it's not hard to have uh you know a a student a student contract the virus or or a parent um or or, um, just somebody and and then it's in your program and you know of course we've had a number of schools around the state who have had it had to cancel their their postseason plans Mm -hmm. because of covid so um you know, early on, it probably didn't allow me quite the introduction I would have liked. You know, we could have hit the ground running, doing a lot more um, camps and seven-on-seven things. Um, I, I will tell you, it's one of the things I've noted is that we're probably further along in offense than we would been under most years because mm. with, with COVID, um, the social distancing didn't allow you to do the tackling and the fundamental things that are part of shedding blocks that are part of defense. But, um, but you could, you know, you could run offense against air like crazy. Wow. And I, I really found us to, we, we've probably been better on offense early 
than I anticipated. And I'm, I'm kind of drawing on, well, we've run a, we ran a lot of offense because it was easier to run under social distancing and some of the, the restrictions that were placed upon us by, you know, the, the local folks and the, the mandates that they had. So your guys were able to throw the football, do their routes, run their plays against air, and your defensive guys obviously weren't able to have any contact for such a long stretch of the preseason. Yeah, they 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 could do as much as they could against air, but you know we were tackling dummies and shedding blocks on dummies, but that's a lot different than going live and 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 you know actually tackling people and and what what have you there. So it it just it was a. It's just an interesting uh, dynamic and maybe an observation of where it in almost every level of football, if you watch it, it appears like offense is ahead of defense. And I, I think it specifically relates to that a little bit. Well, your guys are going to have to do some tackling on Saturday. The MICDS is the top seed in the in, a, in its Class 4 district. You have to match up with Trinity who entered the postseason 0-3, but a very deceptive 0-3 with uh, games against Lutheran North, St. Mary's, and Chaminade. So what's it like facing a Trinity team that that you get to see now after a 57-0 win over St. Charles West last week for Trinity's first win of the year? Yeah, that again, in the seedings of that, that's pretty deceptive because the folks they did play were awfully talented folks. And... Um, Trinity's a, is an outstanding football team. Um, I, I think I was, I was saying off the off air just a little bit that, you know, they may very well be the, just the most athletic team in the class four bracket. I, I, I think folks would be hard pressed to find another team that just has the, the combination of skill kids that they have and, and they have some really nice linemen that go with it. So um, we, we, we definitely have our work cut out for us. I think, you know, at this juncture, especially in the in the shortened season, that that seeds probably aren't aren't really reflective of what truly could have occurred and might have occurred if if everybody played entire seasons. So uh, um, we, we know we have our hands full and uh, we, we, we give them tremendous amount of respect that they've earned um, these these last you know handful of years where they've really produced it at a really high level. Well, you've got some guys too. You, your group, uh, won all of its games leading in. So, what have you seen out of your team, and who are some of those key pieces for the Rams? Um, you know, our, our our quarterback is, you know, he's a junior, but he's a three year starter. So he um, he he started on on the team that was state runner ups a couple of years ago, and uh, um, Reagan's just outstanding, and and it's a. Uh, his skill set's really good, and his arm talent is is obvious when you watch us play. Um, but boy, his cognitive is is from the neck up is is really extraordinary and just outstanding leadership. But you know, we, we our receiving core, uh, Crawford Bundy and, and, and PJ Behan have been awesome, and Will Will Kazmarek and, and Jalen Pace um, serve as kind of a tight end and hybrid kind of players, and uh, um, and then uh, and Steve Hall. Um, and Sean Putnam and Sean has been uh, Sean's been a godsend because, you know, we had Nate Smith, uh, a two year starter, a, a thousand yard rusher from a year ago, got injured week one. Winston Moore got uh, injured week two. And so, you know, a lot of teams, I, I don't know if they could survive losing two high quality running backs. 
and just be able to find somebody who's within our program that, you know, ends up running for over a hundred yards uh, against, uh, against John Burroughs and just does everything that uh, we needed him to do. So we're, we're, we're hoping that um, that, that we're hoping that that mixture um, gives us uh, gives us a chance tomorrow. And, and we really, really love our offensive line. That's a, that's a, a group of just, just, just nice football players that are, they just kind of band together. There's a lot of synergy in that group. Um, I, they really understand. They communicate well. They know each other. And uh, um, we, we've just been blessed with pretty good. And, and and then it doesn't even, you know, talk about defensively, you know, what we said earlier. We better we better tackle this week. We better do these fundamental things. And I've just seen nice progress with our defense um, from, uh, you know, from week one to week two to week three against a really good John Burroughs team. And then just mm-hmm. the, the last couple of weeks of practice, we just, we, we hope we, uh, we can do the kind of things that, that may be able in some level um, give us that chance against Trinity. So well, obviously being at, at MICDS home games or on Saturday afternoon, no lights for the, for the Metro league, save Lutheran North and Lutheran South. So I'm curious as a guy who was a very much a Friday night guy out in the Kansas city area, what's it like playing Saturday afternoons? Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a slight adjustment. Mainly it's in my vocabulary uh, because I constantly am talking about, well, okay, Monday practice, Thursday practice. Well, our Thursday practice was today. It was Friday for my old, uh, my old system. But, uh, but you know what, over the years, I've, we've played a number of Saturday afternoons, actually a number of Saturday afternoon in the fall games um, in, uh, in November games, because we've um, played in the semis and, and the quarters and some of those games ended up falling on those days. And, and then just through the regular season, we, we had a few teams that fell in the same boat um, that, that didn't have lights at, at Kansas city O'Hare. And so we ended up playing a, a, a regularly with some Saturdays. It's just, you just adjust your week a little bit and uh, um, you know what? Uh, but I do believe that our players, this is more what they're accustomed to. Sure. Like, I think our guys have been excited about playing. You know, we played our first two games on Friday and then we played Burroughs on a Saturday and they were like, we're excited about playing on Saturday and, 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 uh, and, and then came out and played really outstanding. The other thing I think is this variable that we, 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 we have in play is that, you know, we haven't played in 75 degree weather and that's what we're going to have tomorrow. It is unseasonably so warm. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things. And, and, and honestly, neither is Trinity. You know, when we started playing, it was, I mean, that first night it was decent. It was a pretty good, a, a pretty good day, but, but this is, you know, the sun's going to beat down. And so we've talked to our guys this week about, um, you know, prehydrate and make sure that, you know, we're, we're taking care of ourselves because it's not going to be, you know, a traditional, November ball game where you can count on that cool weather to kind of tamp down that it's, it's going to be hot and the sun's going to be high in the air. And, um, we'll, we'll, it just, it's just one of those other things that you, you sometimes don't think about for, um, you know, a mid November game. Well, Fred Bruchard, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Best of luck on Saturday. Appreciate it. Thank you guys for covering high school sports and, uh, Thanks for welcoming me to to the St. Louis area. Special thanks to Fred Bouchard for joining the show while scouting the St. Dominic Parkway North game. The winner of that game gets the winner MICDS Trinity next week for the district championship. 
Up next, Paul Halfacre is going to drop by and talk cross-country right here on the stlhighschoolsports.com Friday Night Football Show. I'm now joined by Paul Halfacre, who's taken his talents to Columbia to cover the state cross-country meet, which has been broken up over three days. Started Thursday, Friday, and wraps up on Saturday at the beautiful new cross-country facility down at uh, down at Mizzou. So, Paul, thanks for joining this show. Uh, what what is the the facility like? Gans Creek. I've heard it's beautiful. It's a very, very nice facility, uh, especially for spectator, which obviously cross country sometimes doesn't lend itself to spectating, but there are plenty of spaces. It's very wide open. It's a lot hillier than I was led to believe. I, I was told that it was more of a flat course, but it's got some rolling uh, gradual hills that I don't envy the runners. You've been walking the course a little bit, or did you, I mean, at the old place, at the golf course, sometimes they let you take a golf cart out, but you've had to hoof it the last two days? Yep. Yeah, I've had to. Now, when you say hoof it, it's not like I'm I'm sprinting everywhere, but I am kind of walking at a brisk pace at certain <laughs> places. How long did it take you to get the layout of the course? That's obviously a huge part of a photographer's job is figuring out a good place to get the shot you want. Um, it didn't take too long. Um, when, when I looked at the course map that was provided to me, there were a lot of places where the course kind of bumped up against each other. So I could kind of like just walk back and forth between certain spots. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, Basically, you just follow the mob of people. That's kind of what I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, there was a mob of people on the stage uh, being honored from Festus. Uh, the boys went out and, and accomplished something that, that has only been done very rarely. What did the Festus boys cross-country team do? The Festus cross-country boys team uh, tied a state record that Herculaneum set in the 70s, I believe. 70s and 80s, and they captured their seventh consecutive state title. Uh, and they made it look easy. So when for those who don't know, cross-country team scores are tabulated. Uh, the lowest score wins, kind of like golf, yep. in that wherever your top five runners come in, their places, they're all added up and compared to the rest of the teams competing. The individual competitors who don't have a team with them are then taken out. So like, just how easy did the Festus boys make it look? Their five scoring members, uh, all of them scored in the top 25. Wow. That's they, all state. That's an entire team of all state runners. That's amazing. Uh, they scored 45 team points. Uh, the next closest was Web City at 97. Woo. And, and that was the class four championship? That was, that was the class four. They, they were the six time class three state champions. But when Misha added an extra class, it bumped Festus up. It didn't matter. Now, those Festus boys obviously have been rolling. Some really good cross-country genes, shall we call it, in Jefferson County, like you said, with uh, Coach Caston and that Herculaneum dynasty. And, mm-hmm. and the Herky kids, boys and girls, have, have always traditionally been in the mix. But Coach Wright at Festus has figured something out because they're really rolling. Yep. And 
with they have all all seven of their top runners are coming back next year. No seniors. Uh, they have one senior, um, but he didn't actually score. I don't believe. Wow. So look out for the Tigers. How many schools have won eight? Anybody? I know that would be if they managed to win eight in a row. That would be the the record. Well, we know what they're shooting for. Another local team that was really good this weekend was uh, the John Burroughs girls. They went out and put on a little performance, too. What did the girls do? Uh, John Burroughs uh, captured uh, a state title. Uh, they, I think that was their first ever state championship. And Burroughs and is a Class 3 school? Class 3 girls, uh, yep, and they captured their state championship. So, and they were... And, and, Kylie Goldfarb has been a, a star for that program since she arrived on campus as a freshman, both in cross country and especially in track. But even though she was on the podium with her team, what left her in tears? Uh, I mean, she was she was still very, very happy with winning a state championship for the team. Uh, but Lutheran South Macy Shelf. Uh, got her right at the very end to win the individual championship. Uh, it, it was separated by a tenth of a second. They ran three, what is it? It's a 5K? They ran a mm-hmm. full 5K to be separated by a step? Yep, by a step. And they were nearly 20 seconds separated from, from the next closest person. From third place. From third place, it was. I mean, it was it was Shelp and Goldfarb until the end, and it was by far the most exciting race so far this weekend uh, for the finish. At That's the finish. incredible. A full five k for one step to decide it, man. That's tough. Yeah. So on the boys' side, there was some intrigue this weekend as John Burroughs uh, boys and Lutheran St. Charles boys. Uh, Lutheran St. Charles looked like it might pull out the Class 3 championship, but then something interesting happened on the way to the finish line, Paul. What happened? So on the finish line, towards the finish line, uh, Lutheran St. Charles uh, junior runner uh, Noah McMullen just collapsed. He, I mean, he didn't have anything under his legs, had just given out. Um, he didn't even look like he could army crawl, and while he was laying there, uh, a John Burroughs kid, Nathan Dowdy, who was battling for a top 25 position, uh, which would make him all state, saw him struggling and, and, and went down and helped him up um, and literally carried him across the finish line. And, uh-huh. what, and when he crossed the line, how did those team scores look? When when McMullen crossed the line, uh, Lutheran St. Charles was ahead with 98 points, and they were the they were the number one team on the standings. But because the rule states that a runner cannot receive help from another team to cross the finish line, he was disqualified. And after his disqualification, Lutheran St. Fatima leaped Lutheran St. Charles for the uh, team title. So because he received help from another team, but his own teammate could have picked him up and helped him in? From what I was told, it was because it was a different team. Wow. I think the rule states that if he received help from anyone, Mm. 
it, it, he so even if a Lutheran St. Charles kid crossed the finish line and went back to go get him, he still it still would have disqualified him. Right. So any kind of assistance to the finish line results in disqualification. Yep. Well, that is a, a true act of sportsmanship on Burroughs' part and an unfortunate result for for Lutheran St. Charles because he's been one of their best guys this year, yes? Yeah, he's been their number two uh, right behind Caleb Lind. And, I mean, he's been one of their hammers. He's If he was his 100%, we're not going to go there. So, uh, other interesting news and notes out of this uh, cross country uh, last first two days. Uh, the West Plains has been a dynasty uh, that that is traditionally winning state titles and, and and finishing among the top four to get a trophy. They were nearly knocked off. Uh, the the Coriezu Chargers put a pretty good scare into them. They did. Uh, West Plains, which has won a I believe a state record thirteen uh, state championships in their history they were after about 4k after about 4,000 meters Coriezu the Chargers were actually leading and but the West Plains ended up catching them at the very end to uh to secure that championship but Coriezu finished the highest it's ever finished in this program with a runner-up in class four well, anytime you're you're nipping at West Plains heels on a cross at a cross country meet, you're doing something right. So, and, and another little bit of shout out if we if we can squeeze it in, St. Charles West had its first champ too. Correct, uh, Junior uh, Lily Jackson. Just, I mean, she powered through. She was one, two, and three. She was in that top three pack most of the race. The last thousand meters, she forged ahead and and ended up winning by nearly 10 seconds to, to capture the St. Charles West first ever state championship. Very impressive. So just a quick, quick thought on what's Saturday, the final day of cross country championships looks like Paul. Uh, the class five girls looks to be loaded. Uh, you have the defending class three state champion, Julia Ray, who got bumped into class five going up against a Rockbridge program that has a the defending class four state champion. Then and then you also add in Lafayette's Grace Tyson. You add in Liberty Wentzville's Allie Kruger. Uh and I'm sure I'm missing someone, but there's like five or six girls that all could win the state title. Wow. And what's look the boys look like? The boys, you've got Ledoux, you've got Marquette, you've got SLU, just in the team standings right there that are and then you've got Francis Howe. I mean, that's just from our local area. That could all contend for a state title. It's going to be fun. Paul Halfaker, thanks so much for joining us on location in Columbia. We appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you very much, man. Thanks so much to Paul Halfaker for joining the show and giving us his insights into the state cross-country meet. Up next, Joe Harris is going to pop by, and instead of talking football, we're going to go in on volleyball as O'Fallon Christian, Borgia, St. Dominic, and Parkway West were all trying to take their shot at a state championship. That's next here on the STLHighSchoolSports.com Friday Night Football Show. I'm now joined by Joe Harris, who's down in Cape Girardeau at the Show Me Center watching the state volleyball championships. Thanks so much, Joe, for joining this show. We appreciate it. No problem, Dave. Thanks for having me again. 
So a different look for you on Friday night. During the week, you're usually a volleyball guy. Uh, weekends, football, Friday night in particular. But with state going on, you've been down in Cape Girardeau Thursday, Friday, and headed into Saturday. What? Uh, how did Friday night wrap up? What did it look like? Well, finally, we, we had a high note for the St. Louis teams. Uh, Christian O'Fallon beat Lawson uh, 25-21, 25-23, 25-12 uh, to advance to the Class 2 championship match. They will play Volley Catholic tomorrow at 4.30. Uh, Chris, this Christian O'Fallon's first trip to state. Uh, Volley Catholic's been there several times. They're going for state title number four, but their first was 2010. So it should be a really good matchup. So did Valley get bumped up with a success multiplier? Uh, yes. Well, it's hard to tell. I mean, it's no, that, that's class two. I mean, it's so hard to keep all these classes straight. Because class Missouri added a new class this year. Right. Yes. Yeah, so we used to have four classes. Now we have five. And we also have this success multiplier that you know penalizes private schools for postseason success. Um, but no, Volley Catholic's always been a class two team. Um, so... Uh, they weren't penalized like a Borgia was or a St. Dominic or, um, or St. Pius even um, because of their postseason success. And we can get to the, the Borgia folks and St. Dominic folks a little later. Um, but, uh, no, they, they're, they've always been a Class 2 team. And uh, it, should, it should be a good matchup. I, I saw a little bit of their match against Miller uh, on the other court that Misha plays both of my finals at the same time. So, uh, and that was a back and forth match, an evenly, ma- you know, even match. So it should be a good one against uh, Christian tomorrow night. Uh, you know, Christian came in against a Lawson team that was undefeated. They were twenty-five and zero. Uh, the Cardinals had only dropped seven sets the entire season. And you look at it on paper, Christian comes in with a six and seven record, and you're like, this this could get ugly. But it was the opposite, and you got to dig in deeper because. Strength of schedule mattered here. You look at Christian's record, three of their losses came to Borgia and St. Dominic, who both played in the Class 5 semifinal. Wow. Two more losses came to Lafayette and St. Joe's. And, uh, you know, admittedly, St. Joe's is not necessarily the St. Joe's of a few years ago, but they were still a very, very strong Class 5 team this year. So that schedule toughened them up, and they were clearly the better team tonight. So who else was playing for a championship on Friday, Joe? Uh, we had Parkway West was the, only, the lone uh, team out of well, – the way Mission does it is the semifinals for classes three, four, and five were yesterday. And then the championship matches were today. And out of our three, four, and five teams, Parkway West was the only one uh, – to get to the championship match, they squeaked out a five-step win in the semifinals. Uh, a, just a, a thrilling match against Platt County, and then they ran up against a Willard team. That, quite frankly, I've been covering state volleyball for the better part of a decade, uh, and that Willard team is prob- is one of the best, regardless of class. I've seen they had two six-foot-two girls that are, you know, one's going to Missouri State. The other one's uh, going to Washburn University, and only because she's had two ACL tears mm. that she's overcome. And they don't make mistakes. They're well coached. They were a machine. Um, they just 
destroyed Nerings in the semifinals on Thursday in, in three quick sets. I think the match only lasted like an hour for three sets. Um, but and so Parkway West knew they were up against it. But uh, and, and again, Willard rolled in that first set, and they're like, "Oh, here we go again." But then West, after falling behind seven to one in that second set, they found their game and they turned it around and they won that second set. Ooh. And you're thinking. My goodness, here we go. Anna Pavliston had a big game. Carly Cool had a, a, a huge game for the Longhorns. And those two are best friends off the court uh, playing their last matches ever. They're not playing college. And, and they went out swinging. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, that seemed to get Willard mad. <laughs> and <laughs> they, they came back, you know, focusing that third set. And they pulled it out in four. But, you know, just talking to the, the West girls and then Coach Susan Anderson, they – they had nothing to be ashamed of. They walked out of the show me center with their heads held high. Uh, and, and they just left it out on the court. And sometimes you just have to tip your cap to your opponent. So Parkway West takes the runner up status. You'd mentioned Borgia and Dominic a, a few moments ago. How did that shake out on, uh, in Thursday's semifinals? Well, you know, we can go back to the private school multiplier. Borgia is the defending class three champion, a school of 400 kids and, because of their success, they get bumped up to class five. I understand the reasoning behind it. It's just a, a tough, tough draw. Now tip your cap to the night. They, they played the district, the toughest district by far in Missouri to get mm-hmm. even to the playoffs. They have Lafayette and Eureka, two teams that, you know, have dominated class four in the past and were right there in class five this year. And they beat Lafayette in the district championship in a five-set thriller. And they earned their ticket to state. Uh, they had played Nixa twice in the regular season, split with them, uh, and that was their semifinal opponent. And, you know, uh, Borgia got out to a 16-10 lead in the first set, and for some, for some reason it, it just fell apart from there. And Whoa. Nixa rolled three-set uh, sweep. And I'm like, what's going on? And, uh, you know, Borgia was just making uncharacteristic Borgia mistakes. And part of that credit, Nixa, they played a whale of a game. And they played so well, I'm not sure even if Borgia had their A game, uh, if it would have been enough. But it would, certainly would have gone a lot more than three sets. Sure. Uh, St. Dominic on the other side of the bracket, another team uh, that had been in Class 3 last year. Um, and in the past, they flipped from Class 4 to Class 3. But they were in Class 3 last year, and they also got bumped up to Class 5. And, um, again, a stellar season for the Crusaders. They beat Borgia twice in the regular season. And, you know, they uh, fought uh, and, and outlasted a, a great uh, Francis Hall team to get to state in five sets. And, uh, so they earned their way there. They ran into a nationally ranked Liberty North team in the semifinals and, you know, uh, tried to play them tough. But Liberty North won that one and uh, eventually won the state title today over Nixa. So in class five, it was just one of those years that, you know, sometimes you just have to tip your cap to the team, the other teams in the other part of the state. So how did Borgia St. Dominic shape out? Uh, they played each other. I mean, it's kind of funny. They, they went down uh, hoping to basically get that third, uh, third match that season against each other in the state championship match. Uh, unfortunately it happened in the third place match. And again, those two teams, they they played point for point. It wasn't your typical third place match that was lackluster. 
um, Borgia found his game against St. Dominic. St. Dominic and Audrey Weber, you know, matched him point for point, and Ella Brinkman, you know, came through in the end for Borgia, and they pulled it out in, in four hard-fought sets, and uh, it was the end of like a 14-hour day of volleyball. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, both teams walked off the court. Uh, it's a friend, it's a rivalry. It's an intense rivalry, but it's a respectful rivalry. A lot of those players play club with each other and against each other. And, uh, you know, I think it was kind of special for them to, to, especially the seniors to finish their high school careers playing against, playing that match against that, that opponent. So one more match, Joe, then volleyball season is put to bed. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's always kind of you know bittersweet because I love the sport and uh, I always get excited to cover the big matches and you know uh, cover the top players and the, and the top coaches and I always seem to learn something about the sport uh, by doing it. But uh, yeah, it's been a great season. I'm just I I think everybody's just happy we had a season. and uh, you know they every team no matter where we're at in the state, especially in the St. Louis County schools like a Parkway West. Um, you know, a Christian O'Fallon, even though they're in St. Charles, they had a lot of setbacks and I think they had to quarantine for a while. Um, just to overcome all these obstacles that were out of their control and to, to finish on a high note, uh, you know, it's a feather in their cap and it, and it speaks to the special types of people these student athletes are and the coaches. Well said. Well, thanks for joining us, Joe. We'll catch you next week with football. Looking forward to getting back on the by the gridiron. Thanks again to Joe Harris for the scoop on state volleyball. Best of luck to O'Fallon Christian as it chases that Class 2 state championship on Saturday. Up next, Paul Copsey is going to run down the scoreboard and highlight performances. But first, I'd like to tell you about all the great content waiting for you at stlhighschoolsports.com. Next weekend is the Boys State Swimming and Diving Championships. Greg Upton is going to have you covered there. Boys soccer districts are wrapping up this weekend as the state tournament kicks into high gear next week. Jim Fossen has been all over the soccer beat for us at stlhighschoolsports.com. Football district titles will be played next weekend, and we'll have full coverage in Wednesday's notebook and in Friday's games to watch. You can read about all of these things and more at stlhighschoolsports.com and in your St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And now, Paul Kopsky with the scoreboard right after this break. And now with the Friday Night Scoreboard, Paul Kopsky. All right, thank you, Dave. It's district semifinal night around the state of Missouri, and CBC defeats DeSmet 54-21, Taj Butts, Four TD runs for DeSmet and head coach Robert Steeples. You know, uh, our O-line really stepped up, did a heck of a job, you know, uh, with our run game. Uh, Seth stepped up and made some really big throws for us uh, when we needed them. Receivers made great snags. And then defensively, you know, you know we held it down the trenches and, and our cover guys covered, you know. Um, had a couple plays that didn't go our way. But, you know, the guys knew that, you know, it's a 48-minute game. So they showed to play the whole game and, and stuck with it and stayed within our game plan. Elsewhere, St. Mary's goes on the road and beats defending Class 1 state champ Valley Catholic handily, 55-22. It was Fox over Lafayette, 49-28. Fox's Jihad Thompson, 212 yards on the ground, three TDs. Blake Mysick passed for 200, actually 381 yards and four TDs in a losing cause for Lafayette. It was Lindbergh over SLU, 28-21. Logan Kopp, 166 yards rushing and three touchdowns. Lutheran North blanks Wright City, 52 to nothing. Ali Wells, Brian Brown, and Toriano Pride each had 
two TD for Lutheran North. It was Parkway West over Summit, 49 to 28. Chaminade ends Ledoux's season, 27 to 20. Amar Johnson, 250 yards rushing and two touchdowns. St. Dominic rolls over Parkway North, 44 to 7. Jackson Overton, 140 yards rushing and a pair of TDs for St. Dominic. Duchenne defeats O'Fallon Christian, 42 to 18. Teron Pat. Pete had three TD runs. It was Borgia knocking off Priory 43 to 29. Sam Hegeman passed for 214 yards and three touchdowns. Fort Zumwalt South, a winner over Fort Zumwalt East 48 to 20. It was Cardinal Ritter defeating Park Hills Central 45 to 14. Melville blanked Webster Groves 17 to nothing. It was Washington over Camdenton 28 to 21. Festus upended DeSoto 35 to 7. North County beats Hillsboro 36 to 28. It was Union edging Sullivan 21 to 20. St. Clair a big winner over Salem 42 to 7. Farmington 24, Seckman 6. Jefferson over Kelly 40 to 7 and Hallsville ends Herman's season 44 to 8. And that's a look at the STL High School Sports football scoreboard. Thanks so much to Paul Kopsky for giving us all the scores and highlight performances on district semifinal night here in Missouri. Up next, Greg Upton's going to deep dive on the CBC DeSmet game, and then Ben Bess is going to wrap up the show by talking Fox and Lafayette. I'm now joined by Greg Upton, who is out at CBC in DeSmet tonight for the MCC Rivals meeting once again in the district semifinal, and the defending Class 6 champ Spartans uh, look very much in in late season form, despite getting a very late start like the rest of St. Louis County. Greg, what was happening out in the Palace on Ballas, as they say? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. They yeah they do look pretty much in mid season form. Uh, you know, and only you know this is only the fourth game under their belt. Um, CBC, this was their sixth game, so they had a little bit more. Uh, but for DeSmith, this was just their fourth game. Um, a couple hiccups along the way, you know, some penalties, some turnovers. Actually, I don't, I don't know that they turned the ball over. CBC turned it over a few times, but um, yeah, yeah. For, but for the most part, they definitely look in midseason form. Um, they're three-headed running back, back uh, monster in the backfield that they have uh, really showed up well again tonight, and uh, you know, and they got some. Uh, some timely stops when they needed to, especially the second half. CBC tried to kind of get back into the game, make a little run at it, try and get some momentum, and uh, they just couldn't quite, you know, get over that hump. And and then, uh, you know, DeSmet uh, ran away with it in the fourth quarter, got a couple touchdowns to kind of seal it. So what was the final, brother? So it was 54-21 to Smet mm. over CBC, and if, if you can believe it or not, when you think about these two, two, two teams, it's hard to imagine, but there was a scoreless first quarter. I don't know how many times that's happened. I'd love to go back and look in the annals of CBC and DeSmet and see how many times, you know, they didn't come out and score in the first 12 minutes. It's got to be not very often with the, the, the offenses that these two programs have put up over the last, you know, decade or two. Um, but there was three punts and two turnovers in the first half. So each team kind of shooting themselves in the foot a little bit there. And then, um, you know, finally they, they got things going in the second quarter. It was a 21 to seven, uh, second quarter to Smith jumped out on top. Taj Butts, uh, ran it in, uh, the first of his four touchdowns tonight for the Mizzou mm-hmm. recruit. Um, and then, uh, Ja'Kalen Johnson, uh, made a great catch in midfield in stride and then just turned on the Jets and 
and and busted it for a 68 yarder. So they were up 14 to nothing. And then CBC put together their best drive of the night. Looked like they were going to go punch it in and make it a one score game. They got inside the 10 yard line and they fumbled the ball. The ball was picked up by Tyron Woodley Jr. Yes, his dad is Tyron Woodley. And um, he uh, rumbled 92 yards for a touchdown. Looked like they were in business up 21 nothing. A penalty brought that back, pushed them all the way to the 35. They got up to midfield and then they fumbled the ball. And Justice Johnson picked it up for uh, CBC goes the other way and scores so instead of a 21 nothing game it was 14 to 7 so cbc definitely had the momentum on their side and you know the the turn of events definitely went in their favor so it looked like maybe going to be a you know one score game going into halftime this make gets the ball in the 20 and they run uh, five plays 80 yards and taj butt scores on a just a phenomenal individual effort to get into the end zone on a 25 yarder looked like he was going to be down in the backfield looked like a couple other tacklers got him looked like he was going to step out of bounds he dives over the goal line just a great effort uh and it's 21 7 at halftime so that was a huge momentum swing for DeSmet, you know to, to get that score right back and to give themselves a little momentum going into halftime and then they come out in the uh third quarter get the uh opening drive um, get runs of 13, 9, and 16 from Bar- Rico Barfield, 12-yard run by their quarterback, Seth Marcioni, and then Butts' 23-yard touchdown. So five plays, all runs, 73 yards, just what they love to do. All of a sudden, it's a 28-7 game. Butts scores again uh, on the next possession, and, you know, the kind of the route was on there a little bit. But, um, you know, as we said, Butts, the Missouri recruit, had four TDs. Uh, Rico Barfield, who's going to Ball State, had a cup. I had one, and Dress Snyder, who's going to Miami of Ohio, had two, to account for the seven of the eight uh, touchdowns. And then, of course, uh, Jaquelin Johnson's uh, touchdown catch was the other one for the Spartans. So, uh, pretty good effort uh, by tonight by the Spartans. And Jaquelin Johnson's going to Ohio State to play in the yeah. defensive secondary. And and moonlights as a wide receiver because he's just that good. <laughs> right, exactly. And you know that's funny when when they talk about you know your uh, announcers sometimes on games and they talk about corners cornerbacks are like why are they cornerbacks because they can't catch the ball they never receive but he can catch the ball so maybe that will definitely help him once he gets to the Big Ten and in the secondary there I'm sure it's going to help uh, but yeah he he did a great job tonight and and uh, you know CBC tried to get some things going. Um, they, they had some success in their passing game. Patrick Heider, um, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't able to add it up. I haven't seen the stats, but I mean, he was probably well over a couple hundred yards. I mean, him and Chevy Brenson connected a couple times and Zach Hahn and, um, also another one of their, um, good players, uh, Dakota Mayo, who's a freshman. He's going to be, he's going to be something special as a wide receiver, I think coming up here in the next couple of years. So, um, you know, he was able to connect on some things and, and get some things going in the passing game. Um, you know, but a couple of times they would get, uh, you know, inside the 30, 40 yard line, but just couldn't punch it in to, to kind of keep it a close ball game. Well, I was curious how CBC split the reps because during the season they have alternated between uh, Aiden Robinson Wayne and Patrick Hightart under center. It was 100 to zero tonight. I don't think. Robinson Wayne had a snap if he did it was you know one or two and I don't think he, I don't remember seeing him in there at all so I think it was 100% Hydra tonight 
Interesting. So what was the Smith's defense doing? Because you'd mentioned that Chevy, uh, Chevy Chevalier Brenson, he's an mm-hmm. Illinois recruit, at wide, uh, he's yep. a wide receiver, uh, going to Il- yep. uh, committed to Illinois, I should say. So, I mean, they mm-hmm. have some pieces to really do some damage, but DeSmet's defense is as loaded as anyone that we've seen in this yeah. area in a minute. Yeah, and they, they did a great job, um, you know, stopping the run. Jordan Clay didn't get much going. Heitard was able to run the ball a little bit, get some yards uh, on some different kind of, you know, plays that they weren't maybe necessarily uh, thinking were going to be coming. Um, but, yeah, the CBC really was able to make their hay, you know, passing the ball. And, and a lot of it, a lot of the success came, you know, when it was 34 to 7 or, you know, 41 to, to 14 or whatever. So, you know, they may have been playing a little soft on them, you know, trying not to let the, the huge play happen. Um, so, you know, I think if it was a closer game, you may not have seen as much success. You may have seen the Spartans kind of tighten it up there um, in the passing game a little bit. I think they'll be fine. Uh, defensively, as you mentioned, they're loaded, and uh, and I think you know they'll be a nightmare for for anybody that they end up playing here in the next few weeks. Well, that's the thing you you've seen a lot of Francis Howell this fall. Mm-hmm. Been out and watched the the Vikings a bit, and you got a taste yep. of Dismet tonight. So looking into yep. your crystal ball, because Francis <laughs> Howell did get a forfeit win when Holt had right. to bow out of the tournament this week. They were supposed to play a district semi. Couldn't do it because of COVID reasons for Holt. Howell advances to its second consecutive district title game. We'll see the Spartans again at yeah. the Palace on Ballas. So if, if Francis Howell's at the peak of its powers, assuming its personnel is back, including stud right. running back Dane Mormon, what is that? What do you think that looks like, Greg? In your expert yeah. opinion? <laughs> yeah, well, as you mentioned, they played last year and it was a thirty-one to three win for Desmet in the district final on its way to a Class Six championship. So, and 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 Howell had a good season last year. They had, they felt pretty good going into that game, and you know it ended up being a four-score game. Uh, you're right. They it's Howell's definitely going to need to have all their personnel. The Dane train's got to be back and their senior star or and their starters that they were missing uh, two weeks ago. Uh, they need to have them back or one week ago now, but it'll be two weeks by the time they play. So you would think ideally they would prop depending on when their quarantine started, they should be back for that game. Unless it started on that Friday, then it'd be, it would be a close call, I guess. Um, but you know, they definitely need to have, Mormon, and if they can have most of their starters, then they, I think they can make it a ball game. You know, and, uh, you know, Robert Steeple said, you know, they, they look, they look even better than they did last year when we played them. So, you know, they're not going to take them lightly. Um, but if the Smets on its game, then I think, you know, they can obviously pull out the win, but hopefully it'll be, you know, at least a, a little closer and a little more of a game than it was last year. And I think, you know, the Vikings can do it. You know, Alex Pipes is, is a, a year older now, you know, and he's been able to do some things in the passing game. You have Mormon, um, you know, they have a pretty good defense, so it, it could be a good matchup. I hope, it, I hope it will be. I hope everybody has their, their personnel and, uh, you know, everybody's relatively healthy that, because that's what you want in a district final. You don't want, you know, one team to have uh, an advantage or as far as, you know, that goes. But with the way things are now, you just never know. You don't know who's going to be there. Um, you know, they may be fine now, but next week they may not be there. So it's always a kind of a, a wait and see on that. But you hope that both teams are relatively healthy in that game because that's what you want to see in a district final. 
Well, I hope it lives up to the hype because it should be really good. But that DeSmet running game, man. I mean, they've had a couple different guys step in at quarterback the last two seasons, and they haven't missed a beat because that O-line blows people over and their running backs are just tough. Because even if you manage to get to them through the big bruisers up front, as Butt showed, they're hard to tackle. So I hope it'll be a great night. Yeah, and then an added wrinkle. I mean, they you know they were able to throw the ball a little bit tonight, but an added wrinkle was you know Seth Marcioni ran the ball himself quite a bit. He was called his number on a, quite a few occasions, and, and I mean he racked up some yards. He probably had 50, 60, 70 yards rushing, you know, as a total for the night. You know, he was able to call his few numbers or call his number a few times where you know he would he would fake that handoff to one of the running backs and then go the other way himself. So that's just another wrinkle they can throw in there too. Yeah, it's. That DeSmet machine is is at the peak of its powers right now. Yep. And uh, yep. it'll be interesting to see what Howell can do after playing him last year. And hopefully, like you said, everybody's healthy and they can they can roll out with who they got. Should be fun. Yep. Greg Upton, thanks so much for joining the show as always. We'll catch you next week. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. I'm now joined by Ben Vessa, who was down in Ireland watching Lafayette take on the Fox Warriors on the banks of the Merrimack River, or at least not too far from. So, Ben, what was happening down in Arnold tonight with the big Fox Lafayette game? Yeah, well, Fox was ready to go. You know, I I usually send out a tweet. You know, about you know, I think I even had you on the tweet there a couple of hours before the game. I sent it out. Say, hey, I'm going to be here tonight. I've never had what happened to me tonight. And Fox, I mean, players start following me on Twitter. The, the football program sends me a, a picture of the water tower in Arnold and says, <laughs> Hey, welcome to Arnold. You know, they, <laughs> I said, this team is ready to play tonight. And, uh, and they were, uh, first play of the game, their quarterback, Brock Inman, uh, 39 yard run gets him in scoring position. Um, uh, Chase Maxey takes it in uh, on their first possession. They block a punt after a three and out, and they go in again and make it fourteen nothing. They were just ready to go. Um, but the the big the the big story tonight I thought was uh, Jihad Thompson, hmm. who uh, had a season had a career high nine carries tonight uh, for two hundred and twelve yards and uh, and three touchdowns, including two touchdowns within a minute fifty of each other uh, to end the, the second quarter and to put uh, Fox into halftime at 35, 12 um, Lafayette made uh, made a run in the, uh, in the second half uh, made it 35, 20 um, and, and we're driving again. Uh, but, uh, but Blake Missick, who, who uh, get these numbers 40 for 60 tonight uh, for, three, for three ninety four. And uh, four touchdowns, um, but uh, through a screen pass, went through the hands of his wide receiver, and uh, Ethan Phillips picked it off and erased 75 yards for a touchdown, and that kind of that iced the game, uh, in my opinion, at that point. But then uh, Thompson uh, took off for a 59-yard touchdown uh, to really seal it. Uh, and the final score: 49-28, Fox with the win, 448 yards rushing for Fox. Um, and uh, and they uh, will move on to play Lindbergh uh, in a sectional, uh, and they'll host that sectional district uh, championship, week. I believe. Oh, that's that's what it is. My fault. Yeah, yep. district championship. Yes. 
Yeah, the uh, Lindbergh with the big come-from-behind win over St. Louis U High tonight. But can we go back to young Mr. Jihad with nine carries for over 200 yards? <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of small in stature, but they give him the ball inside, and he runs uh, in those trees in there and just escapes. And once he gets, he sees a hole, and uh, his, his first touchdown a 32 yarder started inside, uh, broke a tackle, went outside and, uh, and just outraced everybody into the end zone. And once he gets outside, he's gone. And then, uh, and then 25 seconds to go in the half, they stopped Lafayette in, on downs, uh, deep in the, uh, Lafayette was driving for a score, but they, they about the 30 yard line or so they, they get stopped on downs and it took them two plays and, uh, two big runs. Uh, the last one, a 39-yard run by Thompson that uh, uh, he just, again, starts off in the middle, kind of a, an inside counter, uh, breaks a tackle by a defensive lineman, and then once he gets in the secondary, it's all it's all over. Uh, so, yeah, he had quite a, quite a night, 212 yards. He's He's been a varsity player for three years. He's only ever run for over 100 yards once. Um, and uh, tonight, uh, he could not be... Uh, he could not be tackled. Because, they, like you said, they, they like to ground and pound it. That's what they do. Brock Inman, uh, Waters, Maxie, those are the three guys who get those carries for, for yeah. to have that fourth option. And, wow, that's just – I mean, Coach Brent Tinker, uh, Joe Harris has watched them a time or two, and when he's come on the show, he said they really have an identity because he's – I mean, this is what they do, and they do it really well. You've seen some teams that can run that ball this season. You were out at the Dominic Farmington game, which Farmington has a, that kind of offense. What was Fox really able to do on the ground against a pretty good Lafayette defense? Yeah, you know, I, I like to be on the field. You know, I've got a, a phone and an iPad and a, and a computer and, and kind of being in a press box and spreading yourself out is a, is probably – the better idea for me, but I wanted to, I definitely wanted to be down on the field tonight. Cause I just wanted to see what it looked like uh, when Fox kind of came off the ball and they just come at you with an attitude that that offensive lineman or those offensive linemen just come at you. And, and um, they, they, they come out. I mean, they're pushing guys five yards off the line of scrimmage. Um, and it's, I don't know if you can see it on film. It's like speed, I guess. You just don't know the power that they have in terms of pushing guys, uh, off the line of scrimmage, uh, when you just look at it on film, but they were exploding off the ball. That offensive lineman comes at those offensive linemen come at you in a hurry. And then, you know, Maxie's a, a big guy. He's tough to tackle. Uh, Inman is, is shifty and just uh, can find ways to maneuver around people. Uh, and then you you add Thompson, who just can fly like around an end. That was the one part that I I thought, well, if they are just going four yards at a clip and just pounding it up the middle, you know how how much can can you keep doing that throughout the playoffs? But if they get this option with Thompson around the end uh, and have that speed option as well, uh, they're really going to be tough to stop. So you'd mentioned Lafayette's offense was was putting up some numbers with Blake Misek at quarterback, forty of sixty. That's that. Wow, sixty passes. That's a <laughs> lot. I know, I know. You know, uh, the uh, the Fox I thought played really well defensively for giving up three hundred and ninety four yards passing. 
but they kept everything in front of them. They the two deep zone. They the, the longest pass play of the day was 24 yards, um, and that was in the fourth quarter uh, when the game really had already been decided. Uh, but but they would they did a great job. They were man to man. I thought most of the time, and they would take away the first option, and uh, Misik would have to. Um, had to find his secondary options. He he hit his running back five times in the first half, just kind of as an outlet because he couldn't find any any of his wide receivers open. He had to scramble. He had uh, he had twelve carries tonight. Uh, most of those on scrambles uh, after he couldn't find anybody open and 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 took off. So he, I mean, he really played a, a great game for what he didn't have, which was his first options weren't open. Uh, but he was able to fo- go through his progressions. His offensive line stayed, you know, kept him uh, kept him uh, clean most of the night. And uh, he was able to find people, second, third, fourth options. A few times he was going down. He, like, sh- did these uh, Brett Favre, Patrick Mahomes, like, just shovel it ahead uh, <laughs> to, a, to a running back for for a gain. But, um, but he was impressed because Fox had – they had – really handled some really, really good quarterbacks uh, this year to have, I mean, Hegeman from, from Borgia uh, had his worst completion percentage of the, of the year uh, against them. Gabe Siri was 10 of 23 from St. Dominic, mm-hmm. his worst completion percentage of the year. Um, and, uh, and the, uh, the kid from Northwest uh, Cedar Hill, uh, only threw for 35 yards against him. Uh, he was, I think, five of 12. So uh, they had really taken some pretty good quarterbacks and uh, and made them have awful days. And so what uh, was, what Misick was able to do tonight was uh, was pretty impressive. Um, but he did throw three three interceptions, uh, and, and Fox was able to to make enough plays uh, in their secondary to. Uh, to keep him out of the end zone for the most part. But he did, of course, throw four touchdown passes. So, like you said, that sets up Fox and Lindbergh for a district championship game. Winner goes into the Class 6 semifinals. We'll face the winner of the Desmet francis Howell uh, district championship game. That'll also mm-hmm. be next weekend. All of this, of course, is COVID notwithstanding because it's <laughs> 2020 for you. So, Ben... It's crazy. Ben, thank you so much for joining us on the show. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Dave. Good talking to you as always. And that's going to wrap this week's episode. Thanks so much to MICDS coach Fred Bouchard for joining us. I'd also like to give a thank you to Paul Halfacre, Joe Harris, Paul Kopsky, Greg Upton, and Ben Vessa. Until next week, read us at stlhighschoolsports.com and in your St. Louis Post-Dispatch.